WTBQ. So, um, you know, every once in a while, I run into someone um, that I have not known before in the outdoors, but whose work, whether it's writing or photography or something, uh, catches my eye. And about, I don't know, a month or two ago, I caught uh, an excellent little article in the New York Outdoor News, really well written, by an author I had not seen before in there. And I contacted her and I said, hey, I really liked your um, your article, and I said, and not only that, but she's an outdoor photographer. And so, you know, I pride myself on being a bit of a photographer, although I'm not a professional photographer by any means. But I love to take photography. You know, when you see a shot, you go, oh, my God, that's beautiful. And I'll stop and I'll, I'll take a shot. But I'm not in that category, and I'm always learning. And so I thought, you know, I've always wanted to do sort of a, a radio. So here, here's what we're going to attempt to do today with my guest who I'll introduce in a second here, we're going to actually talk about outdoor and outdoor photography because that's what she does so beautifully. And it, when I went to her website, I looked at her work and I went, wow, this is really, you know, as a photographer, you can tell a photographer is really an artist when you look at the shots because you're looking at their shots through their artistic lens, their eyes. And that's something a lot of people don't have. I mean, just look at the way some people take photos of I mean, I get photos all the time of fishing. You know, somebody sends me a shot of a fish or a you know deer hunting expedition, and usually the composition is terrible. You know, the average person, and I'm nothing wrong. They they're trying to do their best, but they just don't. You know, they're like, whatever. It's just you know, you look at it, it's a little blurry, or you know, the composition of the photo. There's just no, there's no artistic eye. And I don't know if you can teach an artist's flair, but you can give people the basics, and that's what we're going to do today. Our guest. His name, now her name really is would throw you off because when I first saw it, I went, oh, that can't be. But her name is Laurie Dirks, like Dirks, like Dave Dirks. Only the difference is instead of an S at the end of her name, she uses an X. And so uh, that was like, I had, well, I've got to contact Laurie Dirks because I want to see if I can get her on the show and talk to us about educating us a little bit more about, you know, what we want to think about when we're taking outdoor photography on the radio. And so uh, let me welcome, uh, without further ado, Lori Dirks to the show. Good morning, Lori. Good morning, Dave. How are you this morning? I'm pretty good. Thank good. you. Good, good. That's awesome. Yeah, calling us way up there, up in uh, upstate New York, and hopefully you're having a little bit better weather than we have. It's been really miserably hot until today. Now we finally broke. but We've got that little bit of a cooler front moving through, so we have relief finally in the heavy humidity yes so we're doing good 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 i'm glad let me tell you i'm gonna Thank play you. some golf after this so i don't want to sweat out there so Lori, i i was telling folks that you know i ran into you in the new york outdoor news you know which is my favorite paper outdoor paper in the whole world uh you know they they put it and i and i hadn't so, seen anything from you before and i read your article on rattlers snakes rattlesnakes and I said, wow, that's, it was a great article, by the way. So if those of you Thank who subscribe, yeah, e excellent. Tell us a little bit about um, how you got into, I, like, I, I want to ask you, is this your first article for the outdoor, for New York Outdoor News? The one yes, I saw? it is. And it was a, a real pleasure to have worked with Dan Ladd, the editor, uh, fully put me at ease. It was something that I approached of a natural interest, interest of mine to share with people about the timber rattlesnake, so often you can bring 
the subject up of the species, and people mm-hmm. love to cringe or right. have you know uh, hordes you know thoughts of uh, such an animal, things on this line. So I did have some wonderful experiences in field with the species, never realizing how endeared I would become to them. Now, mm. I'm talking certainly at a distance, right. uh, certainly <laughs> respectfully, yeah. not intruding on any of their behaviors. Uh, you know, with my long lens, I can do that. So that's what was important to me. And then realizing just how docile they are and for their rather secretive uh, ability to not have encounters with humans and other things mm. uh, just you know really impressed me and couldn't wait to share what i learned yeah i guess you did and i have to tell you i learned more than a few things here about rattlesnakes but then moreover when i checked out your website and i went oh let me find out more about this Lori dirks i can find out who she is. then i saw your website which by the way folks if you want to check it out while you're listening which i you could multitask here you can go to Lori dirks d it's Lori l-a-u-r-i-e d-i-r-k-x not s x dot com and uh you can check out uh Naturally Yours is the title I see here, Photography That Tells a Story by Lori Dirks. Now, Lori, before we go too far here and we go to the break, give us a little background. How did you get into the outdoors? I mean, I think you also do some other things. You, you've, you hunt as well, which, you know, we're always trying to encourage more women like you to help other women as, you know, because of your, what you do to encourage them to get into the outdoors. So I'm always inspired by that story. Tell us how you, a little bit about how you got into the outdoors. Uh, well, thank you uh, for asking, but I also want to thank you, too, for such a wonderful introduction. Uh, that was very kind of you. Uh, my beginnings to any of this were certainly through my childhood and on. I had the great privilege to grow up in a naturalist environment. So it, now, though I only have a fraction of my father, uh, who's the naturalist, his his intelligence with the out-of-doors and such uh it did carry on into my adulthood. Mm-hmm. So he was a very avid bird bander, and uh, I became a photographer of birds initially, of course, anything outdoors, and it just expanded from there. So I, it's a little odd to say I never meant to be a photographer, but because of my natural interest in my subjects, things began to come together very well. Mm-hmm to be able to view them in a way that hopefully would inspire others to want to learn more about the species, to help protect their habitats, things on that line, you know, more of preservation than, you know, trying to backpedal and, you know, recreate a, a natural, you know, healthy habitat again. Right, right. Things on that line. That's and awesome. How, well, thank you. So, so, began. so it was, so now the photography, when did you get into the photography aspect of it? Was that early on in your it, you know, in, in I, I don't because you know you have an artist's eye. I said that during the beginning. I said I you know you can that. tell we're looking at your photography, and if you go on Lori's site again, it's Lori www.lauridirks.com. Lauridirks.com. You can see we're looking through your lens. How did you get into the photography? I've always been a bit of a shutterbug, but it wasn't until about two thousand eight when I had received a hand-me-down early model of a uh, DSLR camera. So that was up from, you know, your uh, Mm point-and-shoot type cameras. 
And it was uh, by trial and error, really trying to learn settings. I have, I'm not taught professionally by any means. I haven't had any courses. And the more mistakes I made was the more that I tuned into how not to make them, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> right, right. So kind of trial, trial and error uh, helped me to develop particular photo signature. It's uh, something that I didn't realize would come to me, but now that it's here, I thoroughly enjoy it. It feels more like therapy than anything to be able to get out there and to capture wildlife and to be able to share these images and hopefully inspire others to appreciate them and possibly even through the photographic aspect to get out there on their own as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and that's great because I, I tell people all the time, I say you can teach yourself to take better photography whether it's indoors or outdoors and of course our subject today is outdoors by doing some things which we'll talk about after we get back from the break but so now and of course you know digital photography as you kind of noted is is changed it so now you know you can take a whole lot of photography i i come from the early days of film you know where you like you shot you know a roll of film and you hope that you had enough shot good shots in that role because you couldn't go back you know you you took it and you were kind of and then you had to wait I didn't do my own, you know, I didn't have a dark room, so I didn't do that. I had to wait a week or whatever it was, a couple of days to get my Kodak film back from the Kodak shack. If you can remember those days, I'm dating myself now, but, um, (laughs) but anyway, so you know what, let's do this. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more to with Lori Dirks and we're going to get into outdoor photography, how you can do so much better with what you've got in front of you in the outdoors. Stay with us on WTBQ. We'll be right back. Good morning and welcome back. You're listening to the Dirks Outdoor Show with your host, Dave Dirks. And of course, if you're just joining us, our guest today is Lori Dirks, not related to David Dirks here, but and spelling it a little different, D-I-R-K-X, which I think is, I'm just fascinated with that. I Every time I stare at it, I go, I never thought of that, X. Anyway, Lori, we were talking before the break about your background and kind of as an outdoors woman, how you've kind of came up uh, through some of your inspiration through your father and others over the years. And then of course, breaking into outdoor photography, which I have to say is beautiful. If you want to check out Lori's work as we're talking to her today, I encourage you to do so. Go to www.lauridirks.com and uh, check out some of her work so you can eyeball it as we're talking. So Lori, let's get right back to where we kind of left off. And that is, you know, I try to tell people that I've been learning over the years to do better in terms of my outdoor photography and taking advantage of lighting. And, you know, there just seems to be so many variable, varying parts to what goes on in constructing a, a decent pho- uh, photograph. And I'm just talking about, you know, not even approaching some of the beautiful work that you do. I'm just like, I, and I get pictures i think i you heard me say maybe as i was kind of introducing you that i get pictures all the time via my dirks outdoors email and people try their hardest but oh my god i see some awful photography and they're but they're so proud of the work they just don't know the difference or maybe they just haven't been taught so if you were to give some advice to uh, photographers and said you know there's a couple of things that you got to do right 
if you don't do anything else right, what would you? What advice would you give to aspiring outdoor photographers? Okay, good question. Thank you. So, for me personally, what I learned to have images become better was to learn the abilities of my lens. So, when I shoot with my long lenses, there's particular ways that help the image to be stronger, more clear, etc. I I don't shoot much outside of my long lenses. My 500 millimeter is just sort of another appendage. It's the longest <laughs> lens that I have. It was it was a you know a gift to me. So very thankful for that. And I have learned through particular settings that having a shallow depth of field with the focal point on the eye of the animal is the best way to have wildlife images turn out. So I could go through some of my camera settings. I think that the most important thing is, is, thing is to learn the person's lens, what the capabilities are. With a telephoto zoom, you don't want to go out to its fullest extension. That tends to degrade. So you just draw it back in just a little bit. Uh, you, you find out, you know, how to get the, the lens and camera body to sing, if you will. There's just, it's just, for me, it was practice. Ah, uh, I get uh, it. So I do, I do have a, a, particular, a particular shooting style, and it tends to be fairly consistent through, through my images, uh, though I can also use my 500 millimeter for macro shots. Right. So and got, and those I've are those real close-up shots that you want to get, like, yes, right? Yes, correct. And that, believe it or not, is with my 500 millimeter. So well, it's, it's really turned out to be quite a gift to me to look through a lens using this. Well, no kidding. Long. I mean, lenses can be pretty pricey. I think that you you can spend more sometimes on lenses than you can actually on the body of the camera, which right. is really which tells you which is to your point the most important thing is the lens and the quality of the glass in that lens, which I've heard too is Correct. you, know, you want to make sure you really buy the best lens you can afford. Um, so most of us aren't going to have you know a fancy five hundred millimeter macro lens. You know we're not going to be in your class, and and, and that's fine. <laughs> I can't afford it uh, either. Um, but if I get it right, the first thing that's important then is really take time to understand your equipment. Don't rush out and take it out of the box and think it's just going to go. And there's sort of that instant photography me mentality out there, like you just point and shoot. And there's sort of a point and shoot. Some of these cameras have, you know, auto features, right? The electronic yeah. camera. So, you know, th 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 and most people, I think, default to the auto, which doesn't necessarily represent all the opportunity you have. Is that a fair statement to say? It sure is. I don't mind when people begin on that so that they can see what they are trying to achieve for an end result. I don't play too much with my settings. I do have a particular recipe, if you will, for how it is that I get the images that I do, sure. and it's on aperture. The, the photographer, photographers whom I admire shoot on manual, so they have full control over every setting on the camera, and I do, uh, I do tend to use the aperture because it helps just a little bit uh, for me personally. Well, let's explain, if you can, on the radio, and I know this is our challenge today, is aperture. What do you mean by aperture? Aperture is the amount of light that's allowed in or that's uh, let into the to the lens. The way our irises, mm -hmm. uh, you know, go bigger for when it's darker out to allow more light in. It's it's what aperture is. So aperture is important because that's gonna that's gonna set the t the whole tone for your picture, right? I mean, too much light, too little light. Photography is all about light. That's exactly it. So with 
a wide open aperture that allows in the most light that that lens can take in. And then there's some other settings beyond that that help to refine an image better. Uh, but a lot of long lenses perform best in the brighter light. I don't mean full sun because then you can have contrast, but uh, a bit of an overcast day, brighter than not, a uh, long lens tends to work really well. Mm. I've had a lot of people you know, contact me personally, hey, I've got, I've got this lens, what am I doing wrong? And I just say, pick better lighting, really is what it right. comes down to. Right. So it's finding what that lens is capable of under different lighting conditions which means you got to kind of spend some time with your equipment again it, not, now i'm not talking about years of experience but you know a little bit of time over a couple of weeks or a couple of months you really understand whether you're using nikon or canon or something else um you know what it can do so lighting the video people say the same thing in the film industry lighting is everything next to sound you know lighting and sound and, and let's go back to something. So aperture, you mentioned focal point. So I'm just trying to help people understand when, you, when we talk about certain things, it'll keep coming up. Aperture, folks, is, as Lori said, light. The amount of light your lens, like your eye, allows in at any one time. So you're, you're kind of regulating that or have the ability to. Then you mentioned uh, focal point. Let's just kind of bear down back on that. Sure. When you're pressing your shutter halfway to have uh, focus come into play, you'll see through your viewfinder however many points that the lens is concentrating on. I, I, I isolate it down, typically, that is to the center one only. So the one focal point through my, mm -hmm. through my lens is what uh, ends up training on the eye of my subject, my, my wildlife in particular. Right. Well, you have pictures of, let's say, animals, close-ups I see on your site. So, folks, if you want to go to Lori's site and kind of follow along here a little bit and kind of get an idea of some of what she's talking about in terms of her output here, go to LoriDirks.com. That's Lori, L-A-U-R-I-E-D-I-R-K-X.com. All right, Lori, so let's, let's go back here and continue. So I see a photograph of a duck, for example. I'm not sure what, which duck it is myself, but or a cat, let's say. And your focal point tends to be, you know, in, in the immediate on that cat. And then everything else kind of behind it blurs because you don't need to have the, the focal point right there is the cat. You want to get the cat. And it's actually a pretty good shot of the cat around like well, a barn you. or something. So, right. um, so focal point, aperture. And then, you know, people also get hung up, I think, a lot of times on this, you know, the F stops, which is all related back to... Um, what we just talked about. You want to talk a little bit about f-stops and, you know, how, because people get clogged up on that. I do, too. So I'm not a real technical shooter. I am more about the subject. And that's where any success of mine has come in is the connection to the subject. So it is, again, depending on how close the subject is, whether I'll have just that single point of focus or I can expand that out to capture more of the face of the animal. That depends on how close the animal is to mm -hmm. me. So the closer the animal is, the more that I will open up the focal points through my viewfinder. Right. So the lens can concentrate on a, on a larger field. Uh, but go back and uh, re-ask me. Oh, the f-stops. Uh, so I tend to shoot wide open. There's your f-stops. Uh, so, the, again, that's uh, the most amount of light mm -hmm. that is allowed in yep. is how I shoot. It, it, it so depends on 
other circumstances as well. If you are shooting directly, if your subject is in light, but beyond it is shade, mm. I can I can change a couple things for how much light is allowed in because I don't want the the foreground of my subject to be blown out. Right. Right. So it's it's a lot of tinkering. I'm not real proficient in being able to express all that. I'm uh, really the the uh, forte that I have mm. is how not to disturb the wildlife you go to photograph. Right, right. To that to me it. is the most important aspect, and then the camera settings sort of come later. Mm-hmm. So I think I think one of the hard things is is that when you pick up on fear in animals, a startling, you know, the eyes are wide open, their necks are raised. And, you know, and the oohs and the ahs that that can bring, uh, certainly on social media, like, wow, you know, you got the shot of this owl or something on that line. And I think, ouch, you know, that to me is an owl that's actually uncomfortable. So when I present an image, I hope that people could never pick up on something on that line. I personally strive to make sure that that element does not occur, because if I'm disturbing the wildlife, then I'm doing something wrong. So. Uh, that that to me is the most important part of my wildlife photography. Interesting, uh, interesting. Yeah, not to change the subject of yeah. the settings, but uh, that's something I'm just more proficient in. And, yeah. and that comes from my childhood, having observed animals my whole life, how not to disturb them, especially, you know, as I said, being raised in a naturalist environment. Yeah, well, it's, um, it's so. important. And, and I think people, you know, they love to take photography of people's animals. I get, and I, like I said, I get stuff all the time from folks who their hearts are in the right place and they're doing the best they can. You know, I mean, everybody's a photographer today because they use their iPhone or whatever phone they have. Yeah. You know, and yeah. some of those they can. I've seen some pretty good photos come from people who know how to compose ph- photography and have sort of the eye for it. But even some amateurs have been able to send some stuff. I've been able to do some stuff, but not terribly well. Look, we're going to take a quick break right here. Uh, we'll be back with Lori Dirks more on outdoor photography and how you can become you and I can become better at it. Stay with us right here on WGHT and WTBQ. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to the Dirks Outdoor Show with your host, Dave Dirks. Welcoming all of our WGHT listeners down in New Jersey, as well as, of course, our home base of WTBQ right up here in the Hudson Valley. And our guest today, uh, as we kind of finish up the show here, is Lori Dirks. And uh, we've been talking about outdoor photography because she is a photographer extraordinaire. And um, I appreciate the quality of the work that I see. And you can actually go on her site, by the way, if you're interested. She has lots of great photography that can be mounted. Uh, she, you can actually, uh, Lori, you set the site up so you can actually purchase some of the photography uh, or if not all the photography that you show on there. Is that right? <laughs> yes. There yes, you go. That's, that's how it's set up. I always encourage people to... You know, personally email me. There's an email link on there if they have any questions uh, to what it is that catches mm-hmm. their eye. Okay. Well, there's a lot, walk them. a lot to catch their eye there for sure. So let's go back to before the break. We were talking about just some of the basics that I think from a composition point of view and some basics. One of them that you said just for those of us just tuning in is, you know, make sure you spend time and actually read the manual and understand the lens and the settings as best you can. Because I think, Lori, your point was you want to get the most out of your camera. You don't want to have to stumble on it. Why not learn it as early as you can? And so spend a little time. Don't be a Dave Dirks. Open it up and start turning it on. 
on and go, you know, like I'll get it, you know, but that doesn't always work that way for me. As a matter of fact, most of the time it doesn't. You also mentioned obviously that, you know, you need to understand the lens. So whatever camera you buy, understand the functions of your lens, understand um, the focal point of what you're trying to compose. So your point, Laurie, was if you want to focus on, you know, an owl or a cat or a bird or whatever it is, a bumblebee, you know, make sure that that's the center of gravity for what you're trying to compose. And of course, you mentioned aperture, how much light, that light is everything, like uh, like everything in, in photography or even videography, you know, lighting is important. And speaking of which, you know, one of the things that just drives me nuts, I just, oh, people send me a beautiful photo and, and I've done it myself, so I'll, I'll raise my hand here. And I've got a photo of, you know, someone holding a fish and the fish might be okay, but I can't see their face because there's so much shadow. You know, the way they position themselves in relation to the sun it makes it so that you can't even see their face. And I get a lot of photography from folks who go, you know, they don't think about, well, where should I have the person stand? And, and you do a lot of people photography, too, because I also know commercially you go out and, you know, if it's a wedding or an engagement or something, you're, you're, you're doing that as well as the, uh, you know, the nature and the outdoor work. What do you, how do you, how can you help people, sometimes like me, deal with shadow? <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good question and a very common one. So I use spot metering. Spot metering tells my lens to, to focus on where the focal point is, not to take in the whole frame mm-hmm. of the image. So when uh, you don't want the backlight to be the predominant aspect in the image using spot metering, is very helpful for that. So is that that little your, little thing I see people walking around with? You know, the f- professionals they have well, that little meter, and they're that, like, yeah, let, right, yeah. That's the old film days. My father always carried a meter with him, but on our DSL cameras, DSLR cameras, we can change the metering in the, the various modes that we're shooting in. Uh-huh. So evaluative metering would take in the whole of the frame. You've got partial metering, spot metering, center weighted. I tend, because I'm a wildlife photographer, predominantly for what it is that I shoot, I tend to stay on uh, spot metering. That tells my lens to focus on where my focal point is, which is typically the eye and, mm-hmm. and such. Uh, and then that helps with any of that backlighting being the predominant aspect in an image. Interesting. Interesting. Now, I had a question come in while we were on the break from a, a listener who said, um, let's see what he said here. Did do you use a, a tripod often? I love that. I am not a tripod user. Now, if I were, I would have probably a greater library. I know I'd have a greater <laughs> library of images. But with my type of shooting, I, it's, it's the way you have more freedom with a firearm or mm-hmm. a rod or reel you know, jigging versus trolling, right. things on that line. You have more control, to me, mm-hmm. when you're not on a tripod. You get to have that lens move freely wherever it is that your subject has gone to. So, no, I don't shoot on a tripod. And my, hmm. my lens with the camera body, uh, sometimes I use a teleconverter on it, things on that line, uh, where puts me at about 11 pounds okay. that I'm supporting with my left hand. So... Uh, Every image I have is all by hand holding, no no tripod. And I've been thankfully published by some great conservation entities, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, uh, Ducks Unlimited, things on that line. And uh, so I, you know, I've had I've had great success hand holding. Now, if I were to ever tell 
or, you know, to help someone to get into the industry, I would certainly guide them to, to learn how to use a tripod because you will end up being able to get lower light images, which become more dramatic, things on that line. Uh, so it's not a bad idea to use a tripod. I just don't happen to. I've yeah. got a wonderful tripod. Right. I really should have sold it by now. It's collecting dust. Uh, but I, all my shots are handheld. Okay. And I don't use, I don't, the other thing, too, that plays into this a bit is that I don't use continuous. Continuous is that uh, right. machine gun, prrr, yep, yep, you know, yep, yep. I, I'm a one shot at a time person. Mm -hmm. Very rarely will I put on a continuous. If you're going to put it on continuous, you have your other settings like AI servo that helps keep the subject, uh, the focal points on the subject as it moves about in a frame. But again, I'm still kind of a, a one shutter press photographer. Yep. So I don't, I don't use the continuous. I have found in using the continuous mm. when I'm a pixel peeper, as, as it's called, you, right. you blow the image up on your computer and you're really studying just how sharp mm. is it. I, I've learned I've lost some degradation to the image when I shoot on continuous. Okay. And that, that's a good, I, I appreciate that because I do see some yeah. folks doing that. I don't do it myself, but I, I get it. Um, and then, of course, you know, let's talk a little about post-production because the great one of the great things about digital photography as opposed to the old-fashioned days when I started uh, and we just had film, um, which was an art and science of picking the right film for day versus, you know, evening and all kinds of stuff, slide photography. Um, you know, people have the ability now to use... Well, first of all, two things. One is... What do you recommend in terms of, like, if, if someone's trying to compose a shot, how many shots should they take? Like, my wife takes, you know, a thousand shots of the same shot. And I'm like, but she just, you know, she's got like 10 billion. I don't even think she, you know, it's like a, a, too much, too many. What is, well, how many do you really need to take, you know, typically to get, to get the shot you want? Hopefully one, which is, a, which, is, which is a crazy thing to say. But in my post-processing, mm. I have found that the seventh eighth even the second third right images are not as good as the first there you go okay. so there's there's my eye looking through the lens i find the moment that i want and that's when i execute it yeah. and that's usually the best image and that stays true to portraiture as well too i don't right. do portraiture anymore you have you have to have furs feathers or fins right. for me to, right. to focus on you anymore but uh i have found that the very first shot is usually the best shot. Mm -hmm. uh, well, you're, you're concentrated on the subject more than you are later. You get a little bit more lax. Right. Or you, you know, try to vary things up a little bit too much, and you've lost a bit somewhere in that process. But, mm -hmm. uh, so you don't need processing. to take 10. So oh. you don't need to take 10 photos or 20, well, you know, really. Uh, you certainly can and have well. incredible result, and you could find that, you know, that winning shot uh, later on. Right. Uh, for me, it just seems to be that... The first shot, second shot or something yep. is, is, is the one that I end up concentrating yep. on. I keep thinking, oh, I'll improve on it. And that's another way that I shoot, too, is I don't keep going back to the same wildlife location. So if I do happen to know that, you know, there's a, a certain species that has been, you know, migrated in or something on that line, I, I go and I achieve what it is that I hope is, is, is good enough. I don't really know to the extent till I'm home and I bring the images up on my computer. Right. And I'm always thankful okay. for the experience right there and then, and I don't go back and uh, keep yeah. shooting. So uh, there are those whom I, I admire that can sort of stay in that particular environment and unobstrusively un un as well, too, not disturbing the wildlife. Yep. 
But me, I, I always think of it as a gift. So I'm thankful that I was there. I was able to experience a particular species, and then I, I, I call it a day. And yeah. then I hope that everything turns out on my, you know, in my post-processing. And yes. as far as post-processing, I try to get it right in the camera first so that there's very little that I want to adjust in my post-processing. I use Adobe Lightroom. Mm -hmm. It's uh, an old program. I own the disc. These days now you have to have a subscription <laughs> for it. That's right, yes. Yeah, so and I don't I won't play that way, so I really don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to use yeah. the software I have yeah. to process my images. But it's in a fun way to term it, it's like the adult coloring book, if you yeah. will, that you get to play a little bit with what it is that you want for having something lighter or darker. You right. can become a bit creative for certain. Uh there's photographers out there who right. can really manipulate an image uh that hopefully you don't even know. Right. That they have had however many, you know, mouse clicks. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's right. That's always the best ones that if, <laughs> some of us call it overbaked. We you know, do. You can do the HDR. Well, Lori. It just becomes too saturated. It is. And we could do probably another show just on post-production alone these days. But we, I ran out of time, unfortunately. We've had such okay. a great a great conversation. Mm -hmm. I want to thank you for coming Appreciate. on with us early this morning, sharing your uh, tips. We're going to put this on as a podcast, folks, so you'll be able to hear Lori again. Again, check out her site, www.lori.dirks with an X. Dot com and Lori, thank you again. We'll have thank you back you. on.